Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the PaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Sarah. How are you? How are you, my dear? I said it first. No, I was... It's me! Cheeks, you owe me a pop! What? Um... That's what I used to say all the time when we were kids. Did you guys never say that? No, that's just no. a thing old people if say. You, if you said the same thing at the same time, whoever said, Jinx, you owe me a pop. I don't know why it was pop. But then whoever was jinxed wasn't allowed to talk until someone said their name. And if they talked before someone said their name, then they had to give the person who jinxed them a soda pop. And otherwise, they just weren't allowed to talk until someone said their name. This is this is. I'm sure this is not like a Canadian phenomenon, or maybe I'm it's sure like that there's a, somebody else who knows. I'm I have, so old. Is that what you're saying? I'm so old that this is an old person thing. Pop is definitely from not this region. Like we don't call soda. Yeah, pop, but there's areas so. of there's areas of America that call it pop. I know, but what I'm saying is like that might be why I don't know it because that wouldn't be a thing that we would say. Do you do the jinx thing? Yeah, the we jinx do jinx. Thing? And I have heard like you owe me a something, but. There isn't like a something that everybody says. Uh, when I was a kid, it was always Jinx, you owe me a pop. Well, here in this house, because my tween boys are obnoxious, it's Jinx, double Jinx. <laughs> and then they say something like rude and body related. Like, <laughs> I can't even repeat some of the things they say. And I literally just like walk out of the room. Like, I don't even know how to parent it anymore. Like, is this real? Is this real life? Is this happening? And Matt's like, this is normal. I just walk out of the room. See, we have the complete opposite with girls where my husband looks at me and he's like, wait, I was like, it's fine. I'm on it. Don't worry about it. I've got it. I've got it. It's girls. I've got it. And then I remind him that at some point we will all cycle together Oh my gosh, David, (laughs) I'm so sorry. I mean, presumably it's a number of years away, Um, but... uh, Oh, it just like occurred to me that that's happening in households nationwide and that's international everywhere. Women tend to sink when they they live together. It's true. The women I work with, we sink. It's frightening. but wow, I can't imagine like being the man in an all female house. Like, does he? He's gonna get a hotel room some weekends. Like, he just needs to just. <laughs> if he needs a place to stay. This is my invitation. Two days out of right every twenty-eight, he's gonna try to organize his business trips around that. I think it's not those two days. It's like the days leading up to those days when you're like yelling at each other and everybody's hormones are so out of control that you don't realize that you're out of control. <laughs> like that's what's that's that's uh, David. Yeah, I always, need a place I always to know when it's you. those days. So I always know when it's the days leading mm-hmm. up to the days. I only know because Matt keeps a calendar for me and he says, it, he doesn't say like, you're crazy because you're PMSing. He says, you're going to get your period in a few days. 
know. I know. It feels different than how um, angry and hate the universe feels at other times of the month. <laughs> so it, it, it feels different to me. Um, like I can tell that I'm angry and hate the universe for absolutely no reason other than hormones. Um, so hopefully that'll help me recognize it in the kids yeah. and well, help I, my husband prepare. I will say that my menstruation and hormones related to that whole thing have drastically improved because um like I can't I have no idea when I'm gonna get my period before whereas I'm mean, now whereas before it was like I left high school because cramps were so bad you know so um I know that it's there like, <laughs> like you say it's kind of like an out-of-body experience like you know you're not being rational and you know that you need to like slow down <laughs> and just like zip your mouth and email the person the next day but instead like just it just comes out <laughs> uh yes yes all right that's that's what i have to say about that it happens um yeah i i at the moment i feel a little bit of pity for my husband for what he's going to go through when the girls hit puberty but um but for now we're all okay so I'm going to take back my Jinx Yomiya Pop and say Jinx Yomiya Kombucha because this is the Paleo View after all. That makes so much more sense. Right? And now we totally understand. And you owe me a kombucha because you kept talking. And I'm just saying that. Um, we have, I think, a, a show. I've been wanting to sort of touch on some of these. And, and I've every once in a while, we'll, we'll talk about something tangential. and. Bits and pieces of this will will come up, but um, I really kind of wanted to talk a little bit about um, testing um, for, especially there's certain um, say conditions that have become very trendy to either self-diagnose based on symptoms, or there's actually a growing number of practitioners who are diagnosing based on symptom surveys and not actually testing. And um, I think this is dangerous. Um, I think there has the potential for people to um, take on treatment courses um, that are potentially harmful um, or counterproductive because um, we're talking about situations where the symptoms can be very misleading. So, for example, adrenal fatigue. The symptoms that someone feels, and I've had, I've had adrenal fatigue, and I've had, I've had um, all the stages. So, I've I've experienced all the permutations of what can happen with adrenal glands. Um, adrenals running really high feels very, very similar to adrenals. Um, running very, very low and not producing enough cortisol. So the, um, you know, uh, tired and wired feels very, very similar to chronic adrenal insufficiency. And if I was to go through a um, symptom checklist, you know, in either of those situations, it would look the same. Um, and but what's happening now is that you know, we're self-diagnosing ourselves with adrenal fatigue or we have a practitioner who's going, oh, well, you know, you have, um, you know, 
the, you know, you're gaining weight and you're, you know, tired all the time and you're sleeping a lot, but your sleep quality is really wrecked. You have a really hard time getting out of bed until you have your coffee, but you have a, you know, a second burst at night. Well, you have adrenal fatigue, right? Like those, those are some classic and, and not everyone has all of those things, but those are some classic ways that adrenal fatigue can present itself. Um, but it's really important to know exactly what our adrenal glands are doing. So, um, our cortisol is supposed to cycle throughout the day. So it's supposed to start spiking um, a couple hours before we wake up in the morning, spikes shortly after we wake up, and then it slowly drops off during the day. It gets a little spike every time we eat, um, which is why it's important not to eat too close um, to bedtime. And it hits its its lowest point in the first half of the night when we're asleep. And um, it's the give and take with melatonin that actually – regulates our circadian rhythms, supports sleep quality, and supports our energy during the day. So what can happen is uh, tremendous variety. You can have your cortisols hot, too high all the time. It's too low all the time. It can be high in the morning and then low the rest of the day. It can be low in the morning and then high the rest of the day. It can zigzag back and forth. And so knowing exactly what it's doing informs the treatment course. So there's certain things with adrenal fatigue that are uniform, right? Avoid overtraining, get lots of sleep, manage stress, nutrient density, um, especially there's some, you know, we tend to burn through magnesium and vitamin C when we're, when we're have uh, overactive adrenal glands and we're under chronic stress. So those are, are really important to either focus on with diet or, or supplement. But then there's uh, this entire class of botanicals called adaptogens, and some stimulate the adrenal glands and some um, suppress the adrenal glands. And there's a whole pile of different adrenal support cocktails out there, um, often the ones that you can get at, you know, like Whole Foods supplement section or in other grocery stores. And when you look at them, if you actually know what any of these groups do, and I, I only know a handful of them, I don't know all of them, but I look them up on my phone. Um, they're often a mix of suppressors and stimulators in one cocktail. And well, it's possible there might be the thing that you need in there and that thing is doing more good than what the other things are doing bad. Um, it actually makes a lot more sense. And what a practitioner who actually tests your cortisol levels will do is cater your adaptogens to exactly what your cortisol is doing and retest every few months. So if you're high in the morning and low the rest of the day, um, you will probably suppress in the morning. You might suppress you know, take take an adaptogen that suppresses right before bed as well so that it, it stops that spike from coming up first thing in the morning. Take an adaptogen that suppresses first thing when you get up in the morning. And then you might take a mild stimulating adaptogen uh, in the middle of the day. So you're suppressing when, it's when your cortisol is too high and you're stimulating when your cortisol is too low to try and bring it back into balance and get that proper cycle throughout the day. Um, if you don't know that that's what your cortisol is doing, it's it's really, really hard to then figure out the right course of adaptogens as um, a complementary approach to the lifestyle stuff that's dealing with the root, you know, stress cause of, of adrenal fatigue. Um, so it's really important to do a salivary cortisol test and to do a salivary cortisol test with multiple measurements throughout the day. So the one I take is the ZRT lab. That It's just the one that my functional medicine specialist likes. I do it at home. I spit in a tube four times a day. 
um, on a day that's dedicated for that. So I'm not drinking caffeine. I'm not snacking. I'm not eating sugar. I'm not working out. I'm not doing any of these other things that can stimulate cortisol. And then we see, you know, where I'm at. So adrenal fatigue is a really good example of um, a condition that really needs testing before you can do um, actual you know, effective treatment, but there's other ones. So SIBO, for example, is getting more and more um, diagnosed based on symptoms. Um, and meanwhile, t- in order to test for SIBO, typically we do both a hydrogen and methane breath test. Again, there's versions of this that you can do at home. Um, and if you do have SIBO, the test can be very uncomfortable because you have to drink something that causes overgrowth and then you blow into a tube every X period of time after doing that. Um, and then also stool analysis, because it's really important to know exactly what species are overgrowing because the, the current thinking from the SIBO community is that you cannot treat SIBO with diet. You need to treat it with antimicrobials and diet is just symptom management. Um, I think that diet has a really important role to play in terms of long-term um support of a healthy gut microbial community. Um, but it comes to dealing with overgrowth and dealing with, you know, potentially pathogenic, um, species, it makes a lot of sense to treat those, but depending on what you have, there's certain types of bacteria that overgrow that respond better to antibiotics. There's certain types of bacteria that overgrow that respond better to botanicals. And you want to know what you have in order to treat appropriately. Candida is the classic, you know, um, yeast infections. Um, it turns out that most uh, people who are di- you know, have been diagnosed as candida overgrowth uh, based on symptoms actually have bacterial overgrowth, not yeast overgrowth. Um, hormone imbalance is, is another one that, um, you know, the symptoms of estrogen excess, I mean, it, the symptoms are really an estrogen to progesterone ratio problem. And it doesn't really tell you if you have too much estrogen or if you have too little progesterone. And the symptoms of estrogen excess can look a lot like the symptoms of testosterone excess. So it can be really hard to separate that out without testing for hormones. Um, So especially if you're embarking on a protocol that's going to overtly manipulate these things, um, it makes a lot of sense to test and not guess. There is, I think, an exception um, to this rule, um, and that is with food sensitivities. Um, You know, a lot of people want to do food sensitivity testing in order to feel motivated to cut something out of their diet completely. And I get it, right? When you see that result in a test and it goes like, you are you know, sensitive to gluten, suddenly it makes it a lot easier to be 100% gluten-free. Um, but there are ways that we can be sensitive to foods that we do not have testing methodologies for now. Um, and what allergists do, it's still considered the gold standard is an elimination diet. So an elimination diet is you cut it out for two to four weeks and then you challenge it, which means you try it and you see what happens. Um, and so, um, we actually have a question about, um, food sensitivities, which I I think we'll still, we'll still answer. But, um, I think that's one situation where 
there's still some utility to testing, but it's not, it doesn't give you all of the answers because you can be sensitive to a food, even though it said you're not on a test. And, um, and there aren't currently tests for every food. So you, you could still end up having to tinker and do food journals and symptom journals and all of that stuff. I, I, f- I feel pretty passionately about this, don't I? <laughs> well, I think, I think we've talked a little bit about all of those different things piecemeal and different podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's good to share that stuff. I know for me, um, between the two of us, we've had some experience with all of these things and working with medical professionals to get it sorted out. And um, it's also to say that, uh, you know, food, particularly the food sensitivities one, it can go both ways. It could tell you that you're sensitive to something, um, but just because you're creating antibodies now doesn't mean that, like, after you do a reset 30 days, 90 days from now, that you would still be sensitive to that food. Um, And vice versa, it might tell you that you don't have a problem with the food, but if you're having a reaction, why would you continue to eat it just because it didn't show up on a piece of paper? So I think it's it's a lot of that logical stuff that we try to get people to think through, um, but confusing logic with, you know, medical conditions that need medical treatment um, paired with lifestyle, including diet, sunlight, sleep, all the things we talk about. Um, it's really important to both of us. So I get it. I get why you're on that soapbox. Um, I'll, I'm right there. I'm cheering you on. I got my little pom-poms. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Cool. It's nice. nice. I mean, it's kind of a small box, but we share it nicely. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. Is it is it so... a small box? I feel like we've just like <laughs> keep putting Legos on the box. <laughs> now we, we're just up there like screaming. <laughs> I'm just sort of like picturing like – a cartoon version of us on the top of a soapbox, like teetering and nearly falling off as we like hold on to each other and shout. Um, some somebody, there's some listener now. And mothers listening. Yeah. yeah, there's some there's some listener now who's an amateur cartoonist who's now going to create that for us. Um, feel free to tag us on Instagram when you share it. That person has better things to do with their. <laughs> So we've got a couple of questions related to testing um, that I think um, allow talking about this in, in a couple of different ways. So um, let's do this first question from Hannah. It's a, it is about um, food sensitivity testing. And she writes, do you strongly recommend blood tests for figuring out what you should and should not eat? I follow a paleo diet, but I don't know if I should adhere to anything else like the autoimmune protocol. Um, here's where I think food sensitivity testing is really, really useful. So um, I think that it's very, very common with autoimmune disease and other chronic health issues when there is a leaky gut present, which may be present in all autoimmune disease. That's that's current thinking by some, some researchers. Um, when you have a leaky gut, you just form food sensitivities. That's just one of the things that happens. And it's we can be in a situation where we have multiple food sensitivities to foods that are otherwise paleo or otherwise on the autoimmune protocol. And sometimes when there's multiple of them, it can be hard to sort it out with food journals. So I, th- I think food journaling is a great start. Um, 
And certainly if you're having symptoms of chronic illness, um, if you have any kind of GI symptoms, skin symptoms, mood symptoms, um, energy level like fatigue symptoms, uh, sleep disturbance, um, those are all things that can that can be symptoms of a food sensitivity, joint pain, um, headaches. And so, you know, if you're experiencing anything like that, then looking at whether or not there's a food that's a, a, a common occurrence in your diet that might be to blame is, is a good way to go. So food journals and food and symptom journals can be a great tool for that. But when there's multiple foods, um, you know, more than three or four, it can get really complicated to sort out what's causing the problem. And that's where food sensitivity testing can provide guidance. It's not necessarily going to give all the answers. So you think of a, you know, a really big panel might have 300 foods on it. Um, I'm pretty sure I eat more than 300 foods by the time you consider, you know, things like herbs and spices. Um, so it can give some guidance. Um, it doesn't mean that there's you know, going to be things that show up that really aren't a big problem or that's something that's not going to show up that really is a big problem. Um, But it can certainly help in that troubleshooting, tinkering phase when things really aren't going well. Um, But I would certainly only, you know, if you're following a standard paleo diet and you're thinking, oh, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should do the AIP. um, I sort of want to put a caution to about um, one of the things that happens with self-diagnosis is also the diet combining, right? So <laughs> I, I have this and I have this and I have this. So I'm going to take all the therapeutic diets for these things and I'm going to put them all together. So I'm going to eat these four foods. Um, and so I, 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 I I'm just like thinking of the, the list in my head of people who have done that. And then they're like, I can't, I, I'm losing so much weight on paleo. It's unhealthy. I'm like, what What are you eating? Like, nothing. <laughs> nothing. I'm, e- I'm eating these four foods. Exactly. Because I'm, I'm not just eating paleo. I'm eating autoimmune protocol, candida, GAPS, SCD, low FODMAP, <laughs> all at once with no histamines. Um, so when you, when you combine all those different approaches, you end up with such a limited diet that it's no longer a health-promoting diet. Um, so I would say, you know, if you're looking to tinker, it should be motivated by symptoms, right? You know, if you're, if you're not feeling great and if you've got something that's sort of a recurring issue, that's, that's when tinkering makes a lot of sense. And that's when doing a, you know, trial of the autoimmune protocol, you know, if you've got a chronic illness diagnosis, that's when that makes sense. Um, Otherwise, you know, often when it's we're not feeling our best, it has more to do with what's not in our diet than what is in our diet. So built into the autoimmune protocol is this focus on nutrient density, eating organ meat, eating seafood, eating tons and tons and tons of different veggies, as many different kinds of veggies as we can get our hands on. Um, And those tenets are really important for a nutrient-dense paleo diet, period. Like it's, It's built into the autoimmune protocol because the immune system needs those resources, um, those nutritional resources to function. But really, we all need those nutritional resources to be optimally healthy. Um, So sometimes, you know, we get into this, like, I want to figure out what I'm eating that I shouldn't. And we want to cut things out, cut things out, cut things out. And really, we get better bang for a buck by, hey, I'm going to try and eat some liver this week. And hey, I'm going to add a portion of vegetables um, to each of my meals. So I'm eating three more portions of vegetables a day. Um, those types of things can actually sometimes make a bigger difference than the, well, now I'm going to try cutting out 
this group of foods and I'm going to try cutting out this group of foods. And um, sometimes we can end up in this sort of slippery slope of um, restriction that ends up being um, more about the um, emotional aspect than it does about the physical. I'm actually reacting to those foods aspect. So just as a, as a, um, another piece to that that question to think about you know when we're looking at tinkering it's really important um it's really important to know that we really do need to tinker um as opposed to you know maybe maybe just trying to add some nutrient density and get more sleep those things are typically much easier than cutting things out and adding things like i can't say it enough but you know, I was doing all of the things that you're saying. I was removing all of the foods and I was crying and it was like nothing. It's not making the difference that I'm looking for. And it wasn't until you were like, Stacy, you're stressed out, you're not sleeping, and you haven't added any of the nutrient-dense foods into your diet when you've taken all of these other foods out of your diet. And it wasn't until I genuinely made an effort to eat organ meats and more vegetables and seafood um, a couple of times a week and broth and collagen and like adding all of these things that I actually started to feel better and see improvement. So, you know, I think a lot of people get caught up in all the things that they need to remove. I've seen even a lot of paleo bloggers say that they're, um, that they quote unquote tried AIP and it didn't work for them. And their version of AIP is not how you or I would define AIP. Like AIP is not just chicken breast and broccoli. It can't be. That's like, I really loved something that you said, and I wanted to stop you, but you were on a roll. But you you said um, removing all of those foods is no longer a health-promoting diet. And I think that that's really essential for people to understand. Like, you think that you're helping yourself by removing foods because they're problematic, but at a certain point, you're no longer getting the variety of nutrients, vitamins, minerals, amino acids. Your body needs those. Like, science biology, you have to have them to function optimally. So if you've reduced food so much that you're not getting a variety of those in your diet, then you won't be able to optimize your own health and wellness. I'm raising the roof for you right now. I knew you would. When I requote you, you're never like, oh, I don't like that. (laughs) It's true. It's true. It's It's a weird thing. It makes me unique that way. Um, let's do this one other question from, uh, Danny, because I think it, um, it talks about testing in, I think, a, a, a different way. Um, I asked my, um, I asked for my thyroid to be tested by my primary care physician because I had concerns I was dealing with a potential Ahashi situation. My mom has it plus hand and finger numbness, hair loss, and anxiety, but my free T4 and TSH came back in the middle of normal range. B12 in the middle of normal, but vitamin D is deficient. No surprise. For my anxiety, my primary care physician prescribed me an SSRI. Considering I've had hand tingling in the night, hair loss, and anxiety, could this not be just vitamin D, but really a thyroid issue despite my test results? Trying to figure out what the next steps should be and what I should push back on my primary care physician for. You ladies are my faves. Never miss a podcast. I mean, I might have included this question because of the last line. Thanks, Danny. I'm sorry. Also. Right? Um. This is this is a good question, and there's so much nuance to the science of the thyroid that I'm just going to let you roll with it. 
Okay. Um, so I, I think the first thing to push for is a full thyroid panel. Um, so free T4 and TSH um, really only give you a small piece of the picture. So really what needs to be on that panel is uh, those things, but also free T3, um, uh, reverse T3, uh, antibodies against thyroglobulin and antibodies against thyroid peroxidase or TPO. And it's the antibodies that are really diagnostic for Hashis. Um, so in my own situation, I had um, the limited thyroid panel, um, which I believe was bound T4 and TSH, done twice in my 20s. And they came back um, on the low end of the range, but within the normal lab range. And my doctor said, you know, you're, oh, your thyroid's a bit low. TSH was always normal. It was my, you know, my bound T4 was a on the cusp and um oh we should watch this right and it wasn't until a couple years ago that my functional medicine specialist that i now have that i found through this whole paleo journey um actually ran a full thyroid panel and um even the first thyroid panel he ran came back normal and it was the second one that he ran that showed antibody levels my tsh was always normal so it's not true that tsh always goes super high in hashimoto's um and also my free t4 and my free t3 were at the bottom end of the range but they were within the range um my antibodies were high and we decided you know let's add a little um thyroid because i have a functional medicine specialist he wants not just my T3 and T4 to be in the lab range, but he wants it to be sort of in the third quartile, right? So like upper half of the lab range where it's optimal without tanking my TSH. Um, and so we started adding some thyroid hormone. You know, I'd already been autoimmune protocol for my other autoimmune diseases for a couple of years at this point. Um, so, you know, we start adding thyroid hormone repl replacement, right? Because my thyroid is not, you know, it's, it's not clearly not making enough. Let's add a little bit. Well, it turns out that I am thyroid hormone resistant and we had to add a lot of thyroid hormone to actually deal with the symptoms and get my numbers into still not as optimal range as he would like. Um, my T, hang on, let me get this. My T4 um, is pretty good, but I'm not converting to T3 all that efficiently. So my T3 is still kind of low. Um, and I'm taking, I think I'm taking like two and a third grains. So I think what three grains is considered um, full thyroid replacement. So like that's a pretty, like th there are some people who are, you know, end up taking more than three grains. They take five or six grains. That's really true, huge thyroid resistance. Um but I've had to take a really whopping dose to mitigate symptoms and to get my numbers even into like slightly closer to better range. Um, and so it was the antibodies that were diagnostic for me and set us on this path. But, uh, you know, I had those symptoms, right? So hand and, and finger numbness is a common symptom of Hashimoto's thyroiditis and probably one that people don't talk about very often. Depression and anxiety are symptoms. Hair loss is a symptom. Constipation is a symptom. Um, brain fog, headaches, um, weight gain, uh, low energy, uh, sleeping, you know, sleeping a lot and not being able to get out of bed in the morning. Those are all symptoms of Hashi's. And 
Um, and so I think pushing for a full panel is is the first start. And clearly, you know, working on getting vitamin D up to a normal range is going to be super helpful because vitamin D certainly can cause a huge a huge collection of vitamin D deficiency can cause a huge collection of symptoms, fatigue and um, difficulty sleeping being sort of the main overlap with with hashies. Um, but I, I've never heard of vitamin D deficiency causing uh, carpal tunnel or, or hand and finger numbness. So, you know, it's not it's totally possible that there could be other things going on. Um, but I would definitely ask for a full panel um, and definitely make sure that the antibody tests are on that panel. Um, and especially with the family history. Right. It just makes it that much more likely. Um, and I just kind of, kind of wanted to share my my own experience with that diagnosis and and with um, thyroid replacement because I think it is more common than we think to have what's really called a subclinical thyroid. So a thyroid that it could still be due to Hashimoto's thyroiditis, but it's it's just not quite keeping up to snuff um, and. Um, and being able to supplement even a little bit can can make a huge difference. Um, it's also important to keep in mind that the, we can have um, conversion disorders sort of separate from thyroid disorders. So we can have situations where we're not converting T4 into T3 well. That's done a little bit in the thyroid, but actually predominantly in the gut and the liver. Um, so if liver health is not optimal or if gut health is not optimal um, or if we're really stressed, that changes conversion of T4 into reverse T3 instead of T3. Um, so those there is also the possibility that uh, functionally – your thyroid is low because you're not actually making very much T3 or enough T3, um, but it doesn't actually have to do with your thyroid. It could have to do with with other organs. So um, those are, you know, it starts with it starts with a full thyroid panel and looking at all of those numbers and and not just um, free T4 and TSH. And also, I would suggest it's pretty easy to find if you sort of do a internet search for a functional range thyroid panel. Um, or functional medicine, optimal numbers, thyroid panel, something like that, to get um, uh, quite a few uh, places will have it of what's the lab range versus what's optimal range and knowing what those numbers are. So you have a, a sense of um, what numbers you'd like to see come back from those tests is also very, very helpful. Like I said, just let you run with that one. I know. It's also the personal experience part of the whole yeah. Team Hashies worst hazing ritual of any club ever. I went through um uh flare with my back flaring up a few months ago and my hair was falling out like crazy. Like the inflammation flare of my back caused my thyroid to flare. Um it was it was no kinds of fun. No, my um, eyebrows fall out. It's like one of my first things. Oh my goodness. I would cry. I do cry. What are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, awful. My, I love my eyebrows. Started, it started when I was 13. Um, fortunately, there's these thing called um, eyebrow pencils. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Of all, <laughs> of all the things, like it's probably right. better you can cover that one up pretty easily. Yeah. Um, but that's also another common 
common one. Um, although I get it if they fall out first on the inside, and it's more common for them to fall out first on the outside. Yeah, but... that seems like what I would expect. Like to thin out. Yeah. Yeah, but no, hash hashes is is brutal, and um, estimates are it's, it affects about one in, in two hundred women. It's actually the most common autoimmune disease, um, and so it's uh, yeah, it's not cool. Club common. Right? All right. Well, I feel really good about our soapboxing. We answered multiple questions. I feel like we had a really productive show today. <laughs> well, and I, you know, I'm doing this sleep challenge and I'm, I'm nearly done, but my bedtime's even earlier now. So I think I'm supposed to go to bed now or something. I, I feel like your improved sleep helped both of us focus the show and get it done so thanks for listening everybody we of course as always will be back next week sarah will have a midnight bedtime no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) i will completely hop into the what is the finish the sleep uh, challenge version of the pizza buffet. I guess it is. <laughs> it's I'm totally... going to pull an all nighter now. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's not, it's not a thing. It's no, not a thing. We I love sleep. I love waking are... up in the morning with energy and having energy all day. And then having this like gradual in the evening, like winding down feeling and not having that like buzzy second wind that I always get at 8 PM. I, I, I really, I really like sleep. I guess that's a thing. It's kind of important. I know. <laughs> I say as I like sadly face the end of the fiscal year, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't wait for October. You, you could do a sleep challenge next month. Next month. That's right. <laughs> right now, I'm just trying to remember if I know what good sleep is like. No, it's not that bad. I do prioritize sleep because then I can't. Bad function optimally the next day but i don't get as much as i want to when i have to work late at home and get up early and go to work and you know how it goes so all the deadlines all the deadlines anyway um it was nice to take a break for both of us from all of our duties and responsibilities and chat with you my dear answer some questions we'll be back next week i said that already it's bedtime All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Hello. Hello from the other side. I can't even... I sing better than that. It's just, I can't. It's, I mean, it needed to be bad in order to prove a point. It was a recognizable tune. My my teacup this week is my Adele teacup that I got last week at the concert. It says hello on one side, and then it says from the other side on the other. Because, you know, she drinks tea when she performs. It just reminds me of her. It makes me so happy. I'm sorry. I'm going to relive that night for a really long time. I'll try to talk about it less as time goes on. All right. Well, Sarah, maybe we should just jump into a show. (laughs) I really feel like we might have to start over. No, don't. Let's not start over. 
Well, he can use that for something else if he wants, I guess. Hello, front. Well, he's got to use the you singing. Oh, God, it was so bad. It was amazing. It was epic. It was purposely bad, but it was like, then I realized how bad it was. I was like, I can't. I just can't even finish. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.